This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Covaris, Ranchford Eye Center, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and today's show is being taped because I am away with the Professional Bull Riders Tour, so I'll be in, I will be in Billings, Montana, and uh, then I will be speaking at the American Academy of Neurology. So this show is being taped, and it's a show I've been excited about. Uh, we're going to first chat with Ms. Caitlin Bernabucci. She's been on our show before. She is the public affairs specialist working with the New England Donor Services. Um, they used to be known as Life Choice Donor Services, but they are the regional area that coordinates organ donation. And they have a big event coming up on April 28th. In the second half of the program, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Fernanda Weinstein. Dr. Weinstein is a neurologist, and she's currently a fellow at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center, and we're hoping to lure her to come to the University of Connecticut. And her specialty in neurology is peripheral nerve disease. So we're looking forward to chatting with both of them. First up, this day in medicine, April 21st, 1913. Dr. William Osler delivered what was called the Silman Lectures. Dr. Osler lived from 1849 to 1919, and he gave these lectures on the evolution of modern medicine, and it was later published. It's interesting because Dr. Osler was actually a Canadian, but he was one of the four founding professors to Johns Hopkins Hospital, now Johns Hopkins University. He's also... He put together what was the first residency program for physicians. So we all hear about residency, what you do after you finish medical school. And now even dentists do it after they finish dental school for a year or so. But typically in, in medicine, it's about a five-year period for which you trained. Some are more than that. And he put together that first program at Johns Hopkins. He's also called the father of modern medicine because of so many interventions um, that he brought to medicine. So again, we remember Dr. William Osler today. Some things that have been upcoming in medicine in general and in the news. Uh, there was an article this week about teachers acquiring new skills. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy with school shootings. Should teachers have guns? Should we have better locks, uh, better windows, more security? I think all of those things are appropriate. But one of the things we've talked about on this show is the need to be able to produce trauma care at the site. And much like we treat people for CPR, uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, we now have to teach people how to compress a wound and use a tourniquet to avoid excessive blood loss. So it appears that we're now teaching this and showing instructors and teachers how to do it with these school shootings. It's sad, but it's a skill that will help save lives. So we fully endorse that, and I endorse 
uh, any of our listeners to take time, talk to a local hospital, emergency room, where they may have a program to teach folks how to get involved and how to really truly save a life with some very basic skills. This week in the New England Journal of Medicine, they published an article about blood pressure reduction in, in black barbershops. So basically, it was a study done where particularly black men will accumulate and who may have uncontrolled hypertension. And we see that run in an African-American population. So basically, they took 319 African-American patrons who frequented 52 different shops and had a blood pressure, a systolic blood pressure of over 140. The study was conducted by a group of pharmacists who were specially trained and worked with physicians toward intervening regarding these people's blood pressure. So basically, they met with people at the barbershop where people might accumulate and talked about lifestyle modification. They monitored blood pressure, had people start on some basic medications to control blood pressure. And in this study, done in the New England Journal of Medicine, it was very interesting at how effective this was in terms of getting people to listen, getting people to invest time in their care by having almost a almost a peer group or a support group while trying to alter diet. And, uh, you know, guys, I mean, we're, we compete about numbers, okay? So to kind of almost show off a little bit about getting your numbers down and getting more healthy. So it was interesting how they created this and they used this particular group of African-American men accumulating in a barbershop. Again, this could work in any scenario where people who are at risk might accumulate. So it was an interesting study done in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, this week I did a, a short interview with ESPN uh, regarding a condition called Poland Syndrome. Now, Poland Syndrome is actually named after Sir Alfred Poland um, in, in 1841 when he first described young people um, who were born with atrophy or hypoplasia of the right breastbone and the right breast muscle, the pectoral muscle. And it could be on either side, but it was particularly more common on the right side. In addition to that, many of these people had deformities in their right hand. What's interesting is, and the reason this story came about, there's a young woman named Haley Dawson, who's eight years old, who has been going around and throwing out the first pitch at a variety of baseball games in different stadiums. What makes this interesting is from the standpoint that they used at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV, they designed a hand for her to use. So she was born with atrophy of the pectoral muscle on her right side. And there's often other deformities. There's a lack of hair growth, this hypoplasia in this area, and a deformity in her hand. They used a 3D printer to design a hand for this young woman so that she could use it and throw a baseball effectively. It's amazing where technology can come down and, and really meet a practical use such as this. Um, what, what makes it interesting is this is, it's an uncommon disorder, but it's not rare. 
And there are various degrees of it. Some people just have a smaller muscle on one side uh, and will not have development of the breast on that side. But some people will have the hand problem, in which case they're more likely to seek care. Although it occurs equally in men and women, men are less likely to seek care. I mean, they don't really care about having a big dent in their chest as long as they're able to use their limbs. It affects the right hand more than the left and occurs in about one in every 30,000 births. So it's really not an uncommon problem, and there are a lot more people out there with this condition. Um, it occurs sporadically and is not genetically linked. So it's not like you have the gene for it, that if you have it, you're going to pass it on to your children. We believe it actually occurs in about 28 weeks of development, actually 28 days of development. And day 28, when the limb bud is being formed, there is a change in the vascular supply to the limb. So basically, there's not enough circulation to the developing limb, in this case, the right arm, and causes these deformities. A lot of the treatment is plastic surgery in order to develop a breast in, in a young woman, um, or and actually, as we say in the case of Haley, uh, developing a limb, a hand that is usable for her. So um, it's kind of an interesting scenario and something that I enjoyed researching for ESPN. If you get a chance, you can catch that on uh, E60. With that, we're going to take a short break and get to my first guest, Ms. Caitlin Bernabucci. Ms. Bernabucci is the public affairs specialist working with New England Donor Services. As I mentioned at the outset, this show is being taped and we are not taking questions. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. My first guest today is Ms. Caitlin Bernabucci. Ms. Bernabucci is the public affairs specialist for New England Donor Services, previously known as Life Choice. Correct, Caitlin? So that's it's partially correct. So we're, we still have Life Choice. Life Choice Donor Services and New England Oregon Bank are two organ procurement organizations that now work under New England Donor Services. So let's talk a little bit about organ donation. A lot of people, the only time they know about it is when their license gets renewed or when they're yeah. watching TV and watch some heartwarming story about someone who donated their organs to someone. But there's yeah. a lot in between. Can you talk a little bit about how things are here in Connecticut in particular? Do we have a lot of people who have signed up to be organ donors? So, Dr. Alessi, we have um, over 1.3 million people in the state who are registered donors, which is great, but that's only about 46% of the licensed population. So we have a lot of room for improvement. And when we think about organ donation, it's so important to think about the people that we can help. Um, in general, one person through this gift can help as many as 75 others, which is incredible. Um, and you think about the impact that one person can have, it makes it a little bit easier to say, hey, I can do that when I get my driver's license uh, or go sign up online. What's the argument against it? Because I guess maybe I have a lack of vision here, but I guess I don't see, I, I don't understand an argument. I don't understand for someone not doing it other than not knowing how to do it or how to go about it. Is there an argument people make against organ donation? I think there are a couple of myths out there that 
Um, unfortunately, people believe they don't have enough facts and information about it. Really, the biggest thing that we hear is people are worried that if they're registered as an organ donor and something happens to them, if they're in an accident, that the hospital or the emergency medical team won't do everything that they can to save that person's life. And that is so far from the truth. I mean, the, the medical teams always want to save their patient's life. So that's a big one. And then people worry that maybe they're too old to be a donor. They go to the doctors, they get that checkup when they're 62 years old, and they say, oh, I got high blood pressure now and diabetes. I don't want to be a donor because I don't want my organs to go to someone and potentially cause any harm. Um, and that's, that's really not a good reason not to sign up either. We want people to register as a donor, and um, we can make that decision when the time comes. But in general, there's not really anything that automatically rules you out for organ donation. I'm glad you brought those two up. So let me help dispel several of those, the two of those. First thing is I'm an organ donor. Everybody in my family is an organ donor. And th four of us in the family are physicians. So mm -hmm. if we thought that somebody was not going to do everything to save our lives because we became an organ donor, we wouldn't be doing it. So I have to tell the public now that that's not the case. The second thing is my father is 92 years old and he continues to be an organ donor. Now, I don't know what we're going to use of his, but I got to tell you, he's, he's going to be 92 in another month, and the guy's in great shape. So, you know, it's important to do that. In fact, it has become known that the Pope is an organ donor. I mean, that is that is so important. Now, I don't have it as a fact. I haven't seen his driver's license, but I have heard that. And, yep. um, you know, and, and Pope Francis is always out in front on these social issues. So uh, I think people have to understand that age doesn't play a role in this. Um, how do we get more people to become organ donors? Well, um, I think education is key. Talking about it like we're doing today, um, having great information like you're sharing. And I think just helping people realize that impact that they can have, that through organ donation, they can help eight people, eight people who may very well die um, without that gift. Um, we have about 1,200 people in Connecticut that are waiting for that life-saving transplant. They're waiting to get that call that will save their life. And then knowing that they can help 50 to 75 others through tissue donation. It's incredible when you think about all of the things that we can give to help other people. Your corneas can go to restore sight to two other people. Skin can be used to help prevent infection and burn victims. Bone can be used for so many applications, but to help prevent amputation in a cancer patient. Just the, the ways that we can help people go on and on. And I think if people just take a couple minutes out of their busy days to think about that gift and how much of an impact it can have, that I think more people will consider signing up. You know, it's really easy if you're not up for renewal on your license for a few years. You don't have to wait until you go to the DMV. You can do it online at registerme.org take seconds to sign up. So I encourage people to, to give it some thought and do it that way. Caitlin, you have an event coming up on April 28th. And I know that because my daughter, Stephanie, who's a physician at Hartford Hospital, has got me running in this event on the 28th oh, at 8 a.m. Can you tell everybody a little bit about the event? I can't. You're going to love it. It is a great day. So April 28th, we start at 8. The race starts at 10, but it's great to get there early because we have so much going on. It's an awesome day to learn more about organ and tissue donation. We have about 1,300 people that came out last year, and they're all coming back. And it's all about this community and who has been impacted by donation. So we have 
donor families whose loved ones have died and given this incredible gift. And they're there in memory of their loved ones. Um, and they're celebrated really by the whole community. And they can see the impact that they've had on transplant recipients um, and, and know the impact they could potentially have on people waiting. So it's a great day. We do a walk-run. There's food. Um, that brings everybody in. We have TCBY coming. There's a lot of entertainment and fun. The Connecticut Princess Parties comes out and entertains the kids. There's a kids' run. There's a huge raffle, but the most important thing is the community that we're bringing together, and then we do um, uh, really try hard to share the stories of why people are there um, and what that connection is to organ and tissue donation. So we have stories everywhere, opportunity to memorialize and remember people who have chosen to give this gift of life. It's just a very inspiring day, and no one's going to leave that day not understanding why it's so important to be an organ and tissue donor. We're, and we're meeting in East Hartford, is that correct? Oh, it's in Windsor. Windsor. Uh, it's in Windsor in, um, on Griffin Road. It's really easy to register. You can go to bluegreenwalk.org. There's tons of information on there. If anyone has any questions, my information is all over that website, uh, bluegreenwalk.org. April 28th, it's a great morning. We're going to have sunshine and uh, lots of good things to do. And we're going off at 8 a.m.? 8 o'clock is registration, and then 10 o'clock is the walk run. But there's a lot to do in that 8 to 10 um, time period. We have music, lots of entertainment, and um, connections to the reason we're there. And if people want to see me, I will be in the back of the pack <laughs> at the end of 5K. Um, oh, I can't wait. Caitlin, you. listen, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for everything you and the folks do at New England Donor Services. Well, thank you. Thanks for your help, and thanks for helping me dispel some of those myths. Take care. All right, take care. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Fernanda Weinstein, and we're going to be chatting about peripheral nerve disease. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080.